Welcome to Fable and the Verbivore. I'm Fable, Beth Stedman. I'm the Verbivore, Laura Johnson. And this is a podcast for writers who love to read. Readers who love to write. And anyone who loves words. words. Today is our two-year anniversary of podcasting. We have been doing this um, podcast for two years this week which is really exciting and kind of crazy. <laughs> yes. Two years feels like a long time, although it does not feel like a long time when I think of like, really, we've been doing this for two years. Uh, and it's also Thanksgiving yeah. here in the States. If you're celebrating this week, we hope you have a great holiday and that you have some time with family. We thought it would be fun today to kind of talk about cozy comfort reads and just books that make you happy <laughs> because we could use a little happiness. So what are some of your comfort reads, Laura? <laughs> so as you can imagine, I made a very long <laughs> One of the ones that took me a little longer to think of was actually um, The Importance of Being Earnest by Oscar Wilde. There's something just so wonderfully absurd about the dialogue. Yeah. You kind of just get swept away in all these characters. What it is they're after is kind of ridiculous. Yeah. And how they approach it is kind of ridiculous. But it's so delightful. And the wordplay um, and the social expectations in society. <laughs> there's a line that's like, we've already missed one or two trains. If we miss any more, it will lead to comment on the platform. And it's like, who notices whether or not you're catching the train that you want to catch? Yeah. There's something so profound about how we view society viewing us that just makes it so delightful and delicious. Like every time I watch it performed or read it myself or watch the movie version. The movie version (laughs) that we used to watch of it in high school is definitely like a comfort watch for me. Absolutely. Because it's also, it's Rupert Everett. He was made for Oscar Wilde. He walks in and you're like, oh yeah, you're supposed to be here, which is just fantastic. (laughs) And then you also have Mr. Darcy himself, you know, playing a character and he just leans in hard to the character who's so uptight and, (laughs) and he does that so well, like, but it's for humorous effect. There's this entire like sequence where they're sitting serenading the two female characters <laughs> and there's like a piano being carried out by servants as they're playing it's just absurd I know Reese Witherspoon's in it I can't remember the other actress's name is there's this argument of and one upmanship about their diaries and one should always have something sensational to read on the train and it's her <laughs> diary that she's talking about yeah and I think that sometimes just entering a world that removes some of the overly dramatic, I mean, it has its dramatic moments, but they're all just completely ridiculous in the best way possible. And again, that like attention to dialogue, that attention to what it is they're saying um, and always having something witty and quippy to come back with. Um, it's a world that I love just entering for a little yeah. bit okay so you have a long list so I, I want to hear yeah. a couple more <laughs> yeah absolutely I'm gonna do a couple that I haven't talked about much so ready player one is actually one of my science hmm. fiction e fantasy ones I think the reason I like it so much is actually the audiobook 
Hmm. Will Wheaton did the reading of it. There was just something so enjoyable about the way he read it. I have read the book myself, and I think there's just something that the audiobook does with the characterizations or the feel of it or the language that he just really gets it and kind of connects to it. I mean, it talks about Monty Python's The Holy Grail and about arcade games. Yeah, there's games. a lot of comfort references in that book, <laughs> yes. for sure. I think that some of the fun stuff is really children of the 80s, maybe 90s who are looking back nostalgically, or even like our generation, once they get to that point that they can look back nostalgically and see yeah. how limited <laughs> those things were and problematic sometimes, but also like see the enjoyable parts of it and in some ways it's just pure fan service <laughs> yeah. which you know doesn't hurt yeah <laughs> absolutely yeah. we recently talked about the princess bride so i'm not going to talk about the princess bride but I, what i am going to talk about is william goldman's the silent gondoliers <laughs> i i like that one even better than princess bride a lot better actually it's a cleaner story it's much less cluttered i think it's also i feel like such a good story for creatives it's so helpful for anyone who struggles with their place in the world or what their abilities are or how that fits the ways we balance skill and desire and it's just explored in a really fascinating way in that book absolutely Recognizing that sometimes the places that make us different, the silent gondolier is humorous because it's about a gondolier who cannot sing. I love the description. There's this quote about the moonlight on the Venice Canal at night. He doesn't know how to describe it, so he won't try. But if someone said in their will that when they died, they wanted their ashes scattered there, you would know this about them, that they understood beauty. It's funny how words kind of seep into (laughs) parts of you and you're like, oh, this is for me. Like, this is something that I feel like I can emotionally connect with. I feel that book has so many little touches stone moments it of course is still william goldman and so funny and ridiculous very funny yeah (laughs) it almost feels slightly more sentimental than anything absolutely it has a poignancy that other works of his don't have it feels almost like a softened version of his style when i read the princess bride i thought oh his mind works in a way like mine does with so many bunny trails and like random thoughts and asides coming in that felt like coming home but this one felt like this could come from that type of mind too this type of just beautiful small little book that is kind of insignificant to the world but is very much a profound book to me and I'm so glad you liked it (laughs) oh I love that book I totally see it as a comfort read I feel like I remember reading it and being like I don't understand why this book isn't more known people should know it more I felt like it had a lot of similar themes to The Alchemist but in Mm. my opinion it did it better I can totally see that and I agree it didn't retread ground in certain ways not that there's anything terrible about retreading ground but I think the way it opened up felt like this slow reveal of truth in a way that maybe the alchemist wasn't so from like classic literature pride and prejudice was the first classic that i devoured we had so many assigned in school and it would be like such drudgery and this one wasn't assigned in school at all i actually read it during the summer when we were on a road trip for some reason elizabeth connected with me her spirit her words her dialogue her sense of self because i've never had that conviction of self that she does 
even just the fact that she as a character exists when you consider the time in which she was written and the expectations of society when she was written I think that's amazing I love Jane Austen's kind of sarcastic view of society there are so many characters in that they have great spirit to them but they're ridiculous like yes. they're just... yeah they're a little over the top and a little like... yep. yeah and it just makes for like this delightful of again absurdity which I do love in general absurdity I guess but also like it feels real like yeah. oh families sisters <laughs> there's parts of that that you really relate to you know families am I right like <laughs> yeah it felt true, I guess. And mm. it's interesting because probably if you consider the authors that I was reading for school, a lot of them probably weren't anywhere near my experience. Right. You know, they they yeah. were male. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we read a lot of Dickens and Shakespeare. Yeah, British, <laughs> yeah. And not that that's problematic or wrong. No, story, yeah. But it was something very different. It was like, and now for something completely different. And I just couldn't yeah. put the book down. Like I literally every single moment of that trip, I had it in my hand. Mm-hmm. And I, I think we've talked about persuasion. I, yeah. I think persuasion is one that I love for very, very different reasons. And I discovered afterwards yeah. and Emma, I can kind of now appreciated in a way I didn't when I first read it but this one is you know Northanger Abbey has something to offer I think to sense and sensibility this one though is like a touchstone one and whenever I'm stressed if life is nuts I will pick it up and read a chapter I broke a blu-ray of the Keira Knightley and Matthew McFadden one which I don't think you're supposed to be able to do challenge accepted (laughs) I broke it (laughs) through overuse and I also love the Colin Firth I think that one is really special and the actress who plays Elizabeth is just so spot on like she feels like Elizabeth to me do you mind if I talk Anne of Green Gables or did you want to talk anything better I mean I don't mind at all if you talk Anne of Green Gables because we (laughs) should talk Anne of Green Gables Anne of Green Gables is one that I actually discovered the Canadian TV series the Anne of Green Gables several hour series and then followed by the Anne of Avonlea which really isn't actually representative of any of the books kind of is just a bunch of weird things added together because they weren't given the rights to any other works after the first one so I found out of Green Gables through that which I mean Megan follows and oh I can't remember the actor's name he plays Gilbert but he does such a great job again a character that I could relate to having that imaginary world and like retreating into her brain yes. I think you're the one who got me to actually read that series in college because um, I had only ever seen that. I remember just being blown away by the actual books. They're just they're clever and funny and interesting and the characters are so fascinating. I love the way she writes Ellen Montgomery. The chapters feel like little vignettes that are kind of strung together in a unique way. I loved that element of it that you get this kind of progression over a long period of time Mm -hmm. of the relationships that you're seeing and I love that it takes actually so much longer for them to kind of reach their understanding with each other there's something really realistic about that yeah for (laughs) sure 
not knowing your own mind or heart for a really long time and having to kind of go through making a lot of different mistakes. I think that there's so many little quotes from the actual books. A decent number of the things, at least in the first series, got into the series from the book. Um, I think that first one is really pretty truthful to the yeah. source material. Once that then goes into Anne of Avonlea, not that that's not that the series is bad from a, mm-hmm. a movie standpoint. I actually like some of the choices that they made. I think you miss out on a lot of great characters. She befriends a lot of people who are invisible, who've allowed things to kind of poison their happiness and who have to kind of work through it the hard way. There's something really refreshing about reading that in characters and then being able to kind of think about that in your own life and be like, yeah, that's kind of beautifully confronting. It makes you really reconsider how you look at life. I think that's one of the things that Anne of Green Gables at least brought to me. It's so hopeful and optimistic and and the character and herself, I think, often looks for the magic in life Mm -hmm. rather than just boring old life with all of its warts and being like, that's just everyday living type of stuff. Even the the little things like the tree outside her window becomes this magical thing. And I think imagination has that power I mean it's one of those (laughs) reasons why we use reading or even writing sometimes as coping that's what it can do it can transport you to this magical world that helps you be able to accept or survive everyday hardships even really catastrophic ones I think there's something profound there I think it's hard to read a book like that and not start to see the world a little bit differently. That kind of book sometimes will like slow me down enough to start to notice things. When you have a character like that, that just notices everything around them and imagines all the possibilities of those wonderful, beautiful things they see, it kind of seeps into you too. (laughs) You start to like look at the world a little bit that way as well. Absolutely. I think that's the great way of looking at it. We bring our stuff to books. Absolutely. But Often a book can leave something behind and it can change you in unforeseen ways. It can open up your mind to seeing different things, trying different methods of even just surviving life. That's what's great about, I think, even rereading the ones that really connect with you. It's funny how a book can connect with you in different ways over time, but it also can remind you of who you are. Going back in and saying, like, this book reached something in my heart. It touched something in a very real and profound way. Let's revisit it and reconnect with those parts of you or even see, like, what ways it moves you into different ways do you mind if i bring up another one like a now completely different go for it so another absurdist author and it's one that i don't believe we've talked about much i love welsh author jasper ford (laughs) i first was introduced to him with the air affair so the character is Thursday Next. That's her actual name. And it involves time travel and bookish references. <laughs> going into novels later on in the series. First one focuses in on Jane Eyre. 
it doesn't take anything like nothing is sacred and that's what I love about it is nothing sacred and in fact like the ending of Jane Eyre is talked about in interesting ways I like that about it I like that you step into books quite literally in the series if we were to list all the things that involves like dodos and woolly mammoths and cheese smuggling it's so bizarre (laughs) you know he's a bibliophile he loves books clearly loves words yeah there's parts where like hamlet comes out and where i think miss haversham actually and in a great way in the greatest way absolutely (laughs) i love someone who loves books writing about books yeah and then doing some crazy stuff that you don't expect he's one of those authors though that I'm like be careful when you step into any of his series because (laughs) he tends to be like there's this book coming out just kidding it's not gonna come out for another four years and then all of a sudden a book you've never heard of comes out by him um which there's several actually that are uh early riser and the constant rabbit which I haven't had a chance to read yet but (laughs) I'm waiting on a bunch of other books from his actual series that I'm like, (laughs) sir, what are you doing here? But the Shades of Grey that he did, which is an unfortunate title choice, Mm -hmm. he actually released that book two years before the more common Shades of Grey. But it looks like color. It's a bit jaded, but I found it interesting. I don't want to give much else away. It involves kind of this dystopian future where people can't see color in the same way if you can see certain colors basically your genes are highly valuable and if you can't they are not and it's still funny and weird and like (laughs) all over the place but it's actually I think a bit more of a commentary type of thing and then he also has a series on the last dragon slayer which is kind of a middle grade it has just a lot of delightful absurdity and characters basically magic is kind of this really scarce business and so you have these wizards who have to go out and like change piping and it's I mean it's completely um, very creative out of the box yes but that is why I love him so much things that someone else would be like that's too much like that's too many things and it's too weird and it's too all over the place and somehow he makes it work yeah it's kind of delightful and just fun yeah to escape into (laughs) he's definitely one of those authors though that like he totally makes it work I just wonder like how did he get published absolutely outside of the box and what's funny is there's a decent following that actually goes to Wales and I think it's in Cardiff for what he calls the Ford Fiesta whenever he throws it there are actual like super fans that go to this almost individual <laughs> conference for him in Wales <laughs> which is <laughs> It's probably a function of when he started writing, though. Like, I, I really think it must have been. And the air affair just, yeah. I think it just did so well that he, somehow he was able to get a, a scrape together a really great <laughs> following there. And there is something cool about someone doing things that I think usually were like told not to do. Yes, um, for sure. And to, to be relatively successful. That's great. I love that. Do you mind if I just mention one? modern one yeah um, more modern I guess we've talked on it a little bit but it never hurts to talk about it <laughs> and if we're talking about newer books mm-hmm. 
just in general, no one is going to be surprised that Catching Fire, The Magnolia Sword, Lady Sherlock series, Caraval, uh-huh. all of those are on my list of ones I love. Mm. But I wanted to talk about Renee Adaya, or Adaya I believe, uh-huh. The Wrath and the Dawn. There's something amazing about that book that it mm. overcomes its premise. I was a little hesitant to pick it up because how do you humanize or create a character that you can actually connect with who is the king who has been killing his wives every night to me that seemed like a really impossible task (laughs) yeah yeah absolutely and when I picked it up I was so highly skeptical but my sister Lisa she does not she, I probably should say she's never led me astray. I don't think okay. I, I know of a book that she's recommended for me that I did not enjoy immensely. So I picked it up and from the first chapter, I'm like, oh crap, <laughs> you get Shazi yes. and her unique personality. And then a lot of the other cast of characters who yeah. just make you just want to read and read and read and they actually yeah. make you want to care about the boy king even more than the character himself mm-hmm. the people who love him the people mm-hmm. around him who either like respect him or have some loyalty to him you start to see their personalities and then you're like yeah now i actually care for this person i don't want her to just there's something delightful about that about when you almost wake up to the fact that you have empathy for this character and you didn't want to like them or you (laughs) kind of had this natural predisposition to hate them but you can't like you lose the ability to want them you know want their downfall in addition to that she understands visual language yes Food, clothing, setting a scene with scrumptious scents and color and settings being just so steeped in the world, but also like steeped in mystery and beauty. You just keep wanting to turn pages in that book. A lot of the books that I've mentioned have that element of like sweeping you into this story that kind of can't let you go but I think that one it just feels like I'm walking into a candy store and like getting to see all the beautiful (laughs) concoctions and confections all around me (laughs) yeah her writing is very like in in I mean I've only read that series so I can't say overall but particularly in that series it's almost like I want to use the word sensual, like, but yes. not in, but in oh. terms of just like all your senses are really immersed in that world and the culture and the feel like it comes out in the tone in her language choices and also so much in her descriptions. Absolutely. And I have read, I haven't read the beautiful yet, but I have read um, Smoke in the Sun is, so that's the second one, Flame in the Mist. Uh-huh. Um I am always here for any type of thing that references Mulan. I will oh, read yeah, it. I did read that one too. Yeah. You gave me that one. I forgot yeah. about that too. <laughs> yeah, that was a good one. Yeah. She does a lot with complex characters in that too. There's certain characters that you're like, should I be liking this person or should I not? Yes. They almost stay in this neutral gray area for a bit. Yeah. Where she's building something, but 
they have a choice to make. And until they make that choice, you kind of withhold judgment. And she is a character who I absolutely ended up loving. It was such a surprise. She does complicated relationships yes, <laughs> so well. For sure. <laughs> in a really fun and interesting way. And seeing a character like level up to yeah. gain strength, um, which was actually one of the things I loved most about that series. From the very opening of the first story um in it's a duology as well mm-hmm. to where that character ends up going there there was something about her continuing to find new strength and new ways to trust in her yeah. abilities to find new ways to kind of change what she already knows and leverage it and use it in different ways there was something so delightful about that and if if I wasn't already talking about the wrath of Madonna I would have brought that one too (laughs) because there's something I love about a duology it just has a different feel to a trilogy and pacing wise they tend to feel a bit snappier to me if that makes sense like I mean, well, you don't punch. get a whole book of the second act. Like, yeah. In a trilogy, you have a whole book of the second act. But in a duology, you get this nice build to a midpoint and then another nice build to like a final climax. Absolutely. You don't have to sit in like the lulls yes. as much. It's fine for them to be like in places that are painful, but it yeah. almost sometimes feels like it is stretching out. I know that it wasn't originally written as a trilogy but there's something so hard and heavy about the two towers when you read it that way like I actually like the two towers decently enough but it is one crushing blow after another and you're just like okay I'm done (laughs) (laughs) I'm done it's just hard to do and keep it compelling and keep it interesting and keep it moving and characters growing and yeah I think that duologies can really overcome that hurdle really well I agree the rose and the dagger I actually didn't know that it was a duology when I picked up the book originally and thankfully I figured it out partway through the rose and the dagger (laughs) I'm like oh because something happened and I'm like I don't think this could be a trilogy and Uh and then I realized it was a duology I'm like that makes so much more sense (laughs) I love the punchline how it mirrors each other it's it's one of those delightful pictures that you could tell she knew exactly where it was going from the very beginning and it had to go to all of these places in order to really have that beat and that impact it's one of those that as you said it's sensual you feel like you're almost in vr like sitting there next to fazzy having tea and basking in kind of this beautiful setting for sure so do you have any i don't really love rereading things when i think comfort reads i think of something that you are comforted by again and again so you come back to it again and again and read it over and over again and really there's only a very few number of books that I have ever reread and I kind of tend to go in phases in college 
I went through a phase where I did a ton of reading and I was reading a lot all at once, which is when you recommended a bunch of things to me, yes. <laughs> like, like Anne of Green Gables and all of those that I read. There were a couple of books that I thought of that I read multiple times in college and like young adulthood, um, one being Till We Have Faces and then the C.S. Lewis Space Trilogy. Yes. Um, that one I've, I read multiple times in those years. And then um, George MacDonald's mm. The Princess and the Goblin. Yes. So those are like ones that I reread a bunch during that period of my life. And then I feel like I went a handful of years, my early married years and like kids being young years that I like really didn't read much of anything at yeah. all. Yeah. Um, and it's really only been like the last five or so years that I feel like I've come back to reading the way that I used to like ferociously. And in that time, like I've been so eager to just read more that I mostly yep. just read new things. But what is interesting is that I feel like when I want a comfort read, I always go for fantasy. I always mm. go for YA. So I will try on YA fantasy after YA fantasy until I find one that yes. feels like a comfort read, even if I'm only going to read it that once. Absolutely. Um, but I do also have two nonfiction books that I have reread multiple times in the last decade. They're totally comfort reads for me. One is The Gift of the Sea by Anne Mara Lindbergh. I swear I reread this book almost every year and usually yeah. it's summer because it just makes, I don't know, it makes me happy. <laughs> A lot yeah. of she, The way that she talks about womanhood and motherhood and being a wife and creativity and trying to balance those things. I don't know. It really means something to me or has been really encouraging to me. And then the other one is Henry Nowen's Life of the Beloved. Yeah, I don't know how to describe that book, but <laughs> I feel like it healed something. <laughs> yeah. I grew up with a very strong doctrine of original sin. And I feel like that book opened me up to a doctrine of original belovedness. Mm, <laughs> um, and this, I, I love that. Things first being good before being broken. That mm. healed something for me. I love that. Do you mind if I yeah. just talk about Till We Have Faces just real yeah. quick? In general, I like C.S. Lewis, but mm-hmm. I think of it's it. It's so different even, from his I other books. I haven't read it in a very long time. Absolutely. And I do like Greek mythology, so maybe yeah. it's partly that. It's kind of this story of Psyche and um, mm-hmm. Cupid, kind of a retelling in a very different context. I love that book and there's something so human and messy about the perspective character whose name I cannot remember right this second. I love the opening. I love all the rage and the the, um, the anger, kind of belief in the unfairness of the world. There's a lot there that I really connect with. um, I totally agree. It's a very bitter book. The character is very bitter and very angry. And I love that. (laughs) It's a book that I reread particularly at times that are really hard. I think the last time I reread it was when Brian was diagnosed with cancer and it just felt like someone put onto the page all the things that I want to say and yet don't feel free to say. It's just so honest and free and just like, this is not fair. I hate it. It's like bitter. It's a bitter book, but it's beautiful. Yes. It's also like weirdly hopeful. Like there's parts in it that have so much that is potentially hopeful, depending on how you read it. I think it isn't like in your face. It doesn't end you with a happy tying of the bow, but there's something that's like, 
yeah, it's a mess. Yeah, it's unfair. And this is like moving forward in it. Yeah. I like those elements, especially when you get Psyche's character included and who she is and how she's viewed and then how she actually is. I like those elements of sitting with that awkwardness of like sitting with that how we view others potentially and how we view ourselves and how we view our situations and being able to flip sometimes the viewing lens on it there's something just so grapply and unpretty and just real and beautiful in that messiness it's a very authentic very um truthful book it feels very truthful to me it made a lot of sense to me when I found out that he wrote it after his wife died it just felt like oh yeah this makes sense yeah you see all that grappling with hardship and grief and just the reality of the world we need more books like that (laughs) like we need more books that help us connect with those impossible I'm laying on the ground wanting to just scream at the universe or (laughs) god or what however we view it um that's life that's a life experience that we will hit that low point in our lives and kind of having something that helps us remember that we're not the only ones that have been there that it's okay like it's interesting I've been working on like with my kids helping them be able to vocalize and to be able to accept their anger or their pain and not having them have to stifle it or make it something different than it is in that I'm kind of sitting with myself of being like no, you can also be that too. Like you can also mm. allow yourself to feel that previously unwanted emotion. Like it's okay <laughs> to acknowledge that this enrages you and to then say, okay, I need something in order to be able to grapple with that. Often we are taught how to bottle that rather than to address and see it. There is no flinching away from any of that. It's all there that I think gives the invitation of being able to like join her on the ground and yeah, kind of just sure. be there as well. Kind Which of you wouldn't think company. would be comforting or a comfort, but it oddly is. It, is it really absolutely is. Yeah. is. <laughs> Yay. Well, we hope that you have enjoyed this episode and that maybe you find some comfort reads of your own in this that you can relate to and see yourself in um, or discover some books that maybe you haven't read and might enjoy as much as we've enjoyed them if you enjoyed this we hope you'll subscribe and support us as we head into year three yay keep reading keep writing keep putting your work out in the world bye